the wonderful, wonderful uh, King Hezekiah. He doesn't end too well, but his life is a wonderful example of a man who really believed in the promises of God in the face of just enormous adversity and his life has always been an encouragement to me. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that we can begin and end the day in your word. I thank you that uh, there is so much, Lord, and not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament about your grace and mercy. Father, as men and women, we really struggle uh, with the whole concept of grace, the whole concept of mercy, that either of them would ever be extended freely to us. Father, we just pray this evening that even as we're looking at the life of Hezekiah and Josiah, the life of Israel, Lord, that we would be able to understand in a deeper, more robust way your heart for us, Lord. God, that we would get to just know you better, be able to serve you more, be able to worship you in a pure kind of worship. And of course, Lord, just be able to be used by you. The world needs grace so much, and there's so much opportunity in our lives, Lord. God, to touch people with the same grace and mercy that you have touched us with in Christ, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we uh, left off last week uh, discussing the uh, the... Tremendous adversity that took place uh, in the in Jerusalem, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the northern ten tribes had been completely wiped out by the Assyrians, and after the Assyrians wiped out uh, the northern ten tribes, uh, where did they look to? The south, Jerusalem, and so they surrounded. The uh, Jerusalem with uh, they surrounded Jerusalem with 150,000 uh, or 100, actually 200,000 soldiers, and they basically taunted the Israelites uh, day after day. It really reminds me a lot of Goliath and the way that day after day Goliath taunted uh, Israel. And that's what when David heard that, and he said, wait a second, why is this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the, the, the children of God? And uh, Assyria was doing the, the same thing, just uh, 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 taunting them, you know, asking them stuff like, well, uh, verse 12 of chapter 19, have the gods of all the nations that uh, we've destroyed up to this day, have they delivered them? Uh, so how is your God going to deliver you? And what uh, a lie that is that the enemy uses to this very day in your life and mine uh, as, you know, your God's not going to deliver you. He's uh, not going to come through. 
And so, but, but Hezekiah uh, uh, sort of tears his clothes, covers himself with sackcloth, and just goes before the Lord and says, Lord, uh, we don't have a chance here. And only you're going to save us. And what a glorious time when a man or woman or a child gets to the place in their life where they realize that. And so, uh, tremendous victory. The angel of the Lord goes out and 185,000 Assyrians are, uh, die. The angel, of, uh, the angel of the Lord goes and, and, and kills them. And so, tremendous victory. And in chapter 20 is where we left off last week. It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, uh, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he, Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what uh, was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone into the middle court that the, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you uh, and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And so here you have this situation where uh, the first thing to take note of is it says, in those days, verse 1. In what days? In the day of a tremendous victory. Uh, this was a tremendous victory for Hezekiah, a tremendous spiritual victory. Uh, he was, if ever someone's on a spiritual mountaintop, uh, it's going to be Hezekiah uh, following this just enormous victory. I mean, Assyria was the world power. It was sort of what the United States is uh, today combined with I don't know, China and the USSR, all three in one. And here they, they basically went, were defeated, and they went back to Assyria sort of like a dog with its tail between its legs. Tremendous victory. And it was then that Hezekiah got sick. And so one of the principles that you know, we can take uh, from this is, is you need to be careful and watchful about any spiritual victory that you have in, in your life. And uh, because sometimes uh, it's times like those that the Lord may choose to, to bring you know, a, a great affliction uh, into your life. And, oh boy, did I find this out the hard way. You know, you, you're, you're young in the Lord and uh, lead a, a, a few people to Christ and all of a sudden you think you're, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, the second best thing in the world since Jesus or something, and, and you're, you're filling your, your, your heart fills up with pride, and, and the Lord body slams you. And, and to just to remind you uh, what you are, you're dust. You're nothing but dust. And, you know, how often 
do we need to be reminded of that? And so Hezekiah is reminded here, he's just dust. He's not some, you know, uh, super spiritual, uh, you know, superman here. He's just made out of dust, and he finds out very quickly uh, that, and it says that he, he is sick and he's near death right at the time of this uh, great, great uh, spiritual victory. Now, uh, there is, you know, we studied, I think, last Sunday morning that word watch. If you ever get the chance to do a word study just in that word watch, where Jesus says watch, and uh, it, it also says in First Thessalonians, Paul says watch, be watchful. We are in First Corinthians, uh, actually we just finished First Corinthians chapter 16. One of the last things he says to them is watch. And the principle is uh, two things. One, watch because Jesus is coming. Uh, heaven is near and you need to be living as if the Lord is coming tomorrow. But the second thing is uh, Satan's prowling around like a roaring lion seeing whom he may devour. And so you need to be spiritually watchful, in tune with what the Lord uh, is doing in and around you, but also how Satan wants uh, to trip you up. And and when you have, uh, when there is a a season in your life where you're, you're really prospering, be watchful. Be in prayer. Uh, enjoy your, your, you know, the season that you're in, certainly. But just remember that, uh, that, that a man or woman in Christ enjoys victory different than the world does. The world sort of is warmed with the pride of their victory. And there's a, there's a, a warming sort of the the Bible says that you there's these constant references of be sober about yourself, meaning in, when, when, when we're filled with pride, we're drunk. And we wind up saying and doing things that are really stupid. And so that's how the world oftentimes uh, enjoys a, a victory, whether it's a spiritual victory or just some pro, pro, something that God has just prospered uh, in your life. Maybe he's given you a new job or uh, a relationship or blessed you in whatever way. And, but, but rather than being warmed with pride of human accomplishment, you know, we, we celebrate our victories just by giving praise to the Lord. It's just a great opportunity for worship. A great opportunity to just praise God in a way that we've never praised Him uh, before. And, oh man, Satan is ripping you off. If after you've just been blessed with some, I don't know, financial thing or spiritual thing or material thing, if if you're not praising the Lord in a brand new and different way. And so uh, be watchful, though, uh, in the day of your huge spiritual victory. Remember Peter when uh, Jesus uh, asked the disciples, you know, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And who, well, who do you say I am? And, and Peter said, you are uh, Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, well, it wasn't by flesh and blood that that was revealed to you. Uh, and... And it was a tremendous victory. But what happened within a couple hours? You know, Jesus said he was going to the cross. And uh, Peter said, no, that's never going to be so. I'm never going to let that be so. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So right after this incredible spiritual victory. Can you imagine being told by, you know, by, by Jesus Christ? You know, flesh and blood didn't reveal 
that to you and 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 you know you're a rock peter and you've been blessed by that incredible revelation but then just uh, turning around and 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 then being called satan by by jesus himself and so um he was it wasn't he wasn't jesus wasn't talking literally but he was he was sort of a puppet of satan satan wanted to get in between jesus and the cross and so um uh be careful in your season of, of victory where the Lord has just prospered you. And, of course, we also learn here that godly men and women, uh, even in times that the Holy Ghost is, uh, Holy Spirit is just moving and God's really moving, uh, are not given immunity from sickness. As, and, you know, as we saw with Elisha, we saw, see in the New Testament with Paul and Timothy and I think Epaphroditus and godly men, so, you know, we praise God for His healing, some, but you know, we need to praise Him also in our sickness because uh, sometimes that is His will for our life too. There's a lesson to be learned in our sickness. And so um, He says to Hezekiah, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So let me ask you, if, if, if God told you this evening, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. What would your reaction be? Would you panic? Well, Hezekiah did. Here, he, it says that he wept bitterly. Of, end of verse 3. He wept bitterly. And, uh, you know... We're gonna. There, there. The Lord sometimes give us, you know, what we pray for, and even what we, if what we pray for isn't necessarily His will. And I really do believe uh, that that is is what is going on here. He's weeping bitterly. You don't see uh, those those golden words that Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane: "Your will, Lord, not mine." And that should always be. That should always be the heart of, at the heart of every prayer, every request that we make to the Lord. You know, your will, not ours, even in death. And so uh, they asked Francis, Francis of Assisi, uh, if you knew you would die in three hours, what would you do? When they asked him, you know, he was, he was a monk and he was uh, uh, weeding somewhere. And they asked him, uh, what would you do? And he says, well, I'd finish pulling these weeds. That's what he said. And you know something? That's, that's a response of a, of a godly spiritual man, someone who understands uh, uh, the Lord, that there can be peace. You don't have to panic. You don't have to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. You can just uh, continue to do what the Lord has uh, called you to do. And if that's picking weeds, you just continue picking your weeds until the Lord takes you away. Uh, And so it says in verse 5, Return and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have heard, I have seen your tears, and surely I will uh, heal you. And then uh, it says there that, uh, in verse 7, Take a lump of figs, so they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Now, some people think, and I personally think that 
people spend a little bit too much time looking into theories like this. But some people think that there was a plague in chapter uh, 19, and that's how these 185,000 people died. And that Hezekiah caught the same plague, because it says in those days. Uh, I don't think that happened because it said on a certain night in verse 35 of chapter 19. And I don't know, I guess there is a plague that you can die just in a matter of hours. Isn't it Ebola or something like that? You can die within a matter of hours. But but obviously this one, uh, if it was the same one, it, he, he, you know, he wasn't, it doesn't appear that... Um, that it was an, uh, sort of he was going to die immediately. Although maybe maybe that was the case, and so figs were a, a common medicine then, and uh, they put these figs over a boil, and apparently it is a, a natural so it has natural medicinal qualities, and uh, so we learn here that the Lord does use medicine to heal. It's not an unspiritual thing to be healed by medicine. Some uh, you, you know you'll hear people out in fringe Christian communities sometimes saying it's, it's not a spiritual thing to, to have medicine. That's just simply not biblical. Uh, it's, medicine's used here to, to heal up this boil. Uh, it, and, you know, sometimes it's exclusively prayer. God will heal someone supernaturally. Or sometimes it's just sort of the natural bottle, body that the, the Lord has uh, has made and spun together that naturally heals things. Uh, so, anyway, he's he is healed here, and uh, then we see uh, as in verse eight it says, "And Hezekiah said to uh, Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day?" Then Isaiah said. This is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the same thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or, or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, let the shadow go backwards 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10, de- 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. And so you see a miracle there confirming uh, that there would be a healing here. Verse 12. At, the time, at that time, Barodak Baladan, the son of Baladin, or Baladan, sorry, Baladin Baladan, <laughs> king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, uh, for you people who like history, uh, the Assyrian Empire was the empire that was the world power uh, at the time, but I believe it was, was it 612 B.C.? when Nineveh was overthrown, and so the power begins to shift from Assyria to Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Uh, Assyria is, I believe Assyria is modern-day Syria, roughly. Maybe it was a little bit more west of that as well. But, um, but anyway, 
so Babylon is, is sort of raising up as the power here. And, and here you see them, uh, you know, they had heard about the defeat, I'm sure, of Assyria. And they, they send uh, some letters and a present to him because he uh, had been sick. In verse 13 it says, and, and Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory and all that there was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Isaiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come uh, Where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away uh, some of your sons who will descend from you whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? And so here you have a situation where you know, Hezekiah, who was a godly man, you know, I'm encouraged to, to, to see that men that God really used in a tremendous way still had some pretty significant flaws. And his flaw, at least one of them, was one that many of us are familiar with. You know, we'll be around sort of the world, people of power, people who have certain positions, people who have a certain amount of money, and there's just something in us. I know there's something in me that wants to start impressing them. And it's not a good thing, as Hezekiah did, to open up your doors and let, let Satan just walk through the door. Say, here, look at everything that I got. And uh, eventually the Babylonians, you know, the Babylonians, they took note and they would be back eventually it would take a little while, but eventually, and they would t- be taken all that stuff away. But, uh, you know, this is just why it is so important that we're constantly, constantly in prayer with the Lord, that, that he would reveal to us, you know, when we begin, uh, you know, the, uh, w- when, we, when we open up a door to the Babylonians, we open up a door, the door of our heart, and start letting them in. It's so important that we're, we're in tune with the Lord and prayer and in His Word so that we'll hear from the Lord. What are you doing? Steve, what are you doing? You've just let the Babylonians in your house, and you're sitting here boasting to them and, and trying to impress them. I'm reading now a, a, a book called Practicing the, the, the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Anyone read that? So it's an interesting book. There, there are those out there who, 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 who criticize it uh, because 
it's like almost too mystical or something, but I don't know. I've read through it once, and I don't see it. I don't, I don't see the criticism. It just it was about a guy who was a very simple guy, and all he did all day, he got to the point in his life, all he did all day was he was a cook, but all day he just prayed to the Lord. And uh, he did have a reverence for the Word of God, and he, um, uh, he wasn't a fruitcake. He, uh, you know, after he died, they said he'd, he could do uh, the work of two people, uh, just himself as a cook in the kitchen. But he was a person who just prayed all day. And it, it, it's really, I've been thinking about it so much, you know, in the last couple months. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, it just says this very plainly. Pray always. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray continually. Uh, there's another verse like that in, in, in Colossians. Jesus has, this, has the same principle that he, when he says. And, and I'm telling you, if we're not in prayer, we'll be opening up our heart to the Babylonians, letting them in and trying to impress them. You know, and I, 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 I fall to that, you know, so often, you know, you're, you're with someone who's in a, uh, you know, a position of wealth or position, and, and, you know, you find yourself behaving in a way that is just not of God. And, and so, the, you know, the question that the Holy Spirit is asking us, is, uh, and asking you and asking me, well, are you ashamed of your lack of wealth? Are you ashamed of your lack of position, your lack of notoriety? Are you willing to just be you, who I've made you? Are you willing to accept that you, well, my word, which says you are wonderfully and beautifully made? And there is just such a peace you know, when, when, when we're, as we're close to the Lord and, and in our devotion times, whenever, when, wow, you know, that's true. That is all I need. And Micah 6.8, wonderful, wonderful verse. Uh, God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does he require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Wonderful, wonderful verse. So modesty. So, you know, there may be times when the Lord will bless you. Uh, but our response needs, your response needs to be one of modesty. Uh, in, in, in Luke, remember at the very beginning of the birth of Jesus where uh, Mary's hearing all this stuff that's going to happen in our life and it's like, whoa, what is this all about? <laughs> you know, uh, the angel of the Lord is talking to her and it says, what does it say? It says, Mary treasured these things in her heart or hid them there. So some of these things she didn't go out and, and share with every, anyone. They were, she just treasured them in her heart. And uh, Watchman Nee has a great piece on this, that um, sometimes the Lord will do something in your life really, really, really cool. And you know, at least for a season, it just needs to be between you and the Lord. Just something really, really special. You know, it's our tendency to just want to immediately go out and boast. But sometimes the Lord just wants you, you, you to... Yeah, to keep it between uh, you and the Lord. You know, we live in the world of sort of AA meetings and uh, ultra-mega transparency. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, transparency is good. We foster that here. And the Bible, actually, the Word of God talks about being transparent and sharing your hearts with each other. But uh, we, need to, we need to behave uh, with modesty. We need to 
remember, you know, the Word of God. So oftentimes, you know, you know, w- with our lips, we're doing the same thing Hezekiah was doing with the Babylonians. We're just babbling away, uh, you know. We're just, uh, you know, opening up and talking about things we have, in n- boasting about things we have no business uh, boasting of. But, you know, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 3 says, A fool's voice is known by its many words. Proverbs 10, 19, And uh, where there are many words, there sin is present, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So it would have been good if Hezekiah just restrained himself. Just restrained it. There's such a temptation to just go out and impress. Uh, but uh, it would have been great if he, he did that. And so it says in verse 20, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah... Actually, I should go back to chapter verse 19 because this, it, it, this one confuses some people because it, it's a little odd that why does a godly man say this? The word of the Lord uh, which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? In other words, well, at least I'll have peace and you know, people who live after me, they may get wiped out. But uh, I think a, a good way of, of looking at this is in so many words, what he's saying, okay, Lord, I'll submit to this that you told me. It's a hard, hard word. I'll submit to it, uh, but I'm going to find something good in it that at least in my days, you know, we'll be walking uh, with peace and with truth. And so in verse 20, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, uh, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Now, how many of you guys have seen this tunnel? A few of you have seen this tunnel. So you can go to Jerusalem and see the very tunnel that is referred to in verse 20. And so what happened, the reason he built this tunnel is um, uh, apparently he heard that the Assyrians were coming with a gigantic army. And so he made a tunnel, an underground tunnel from a spring that was outside the walls of uh, Jerusalem, the spring of Gihon, uh, into the pool of Siloam. Remember, Jesus has an episode there in the New Testament, which was inside the walls. And it's 30 feet under the ground in solid rock, 1,777 feet through solid rock. And this is done, what? 3,000 years ago, and, and really it was an amazing, amazing feat to uh, tunnel underground and, and to get a water source from outside. So when the Assyrians came, they were able to survive uh, much longer uh, because of that. And so uh, a tremendous uh, feat there. Okay, chapter 21. So if you shudder when you hear Ahab and Jezebel in the north, uh, the, the person to, whose name you shudder at in the south is a man by the name of Manasseh. Uh, words just can't describe how low uh, this guy went. And enormous, enormous tragedy and just awful consequences uh, that Israel had to reap because of the leadership of this one man. Verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His, another, his mother's name was 
Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of, of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He also made his son pass through the fire, meaning he sacrificed his, his son uh, to probably Molech, the god of Molech there. Uh, he practiced soothsaying, he used witchcraft and consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah they had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all my tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they were careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant uh, Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement in verse 9. It's that the Bible says that uh, the nation of Israel uh, only went into the land, uh, the promised land, only were, were given sort of the right to go in at the point where just the evil and the wickedness was just so incredibly bad in, in the land of Canaan. I mean, with whatever, child sacrifice and ritualized prostitution and just the violence, only when the sin got so bad did the Lord say, okay, th that's it. You need to go in, you need to take these people out, remove them, and you need to settle in the land. Well, here is uh, Israel itself. What a tragedy who had, you know, uh, who, who was raised up to be a light to the nations. What a tragedy that they are now, um, it says, more evil, verse 9, than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now, you know, I, I think of the United States and, and how in so many ways the Lord has used this country to be a light to the nations to send out missionaries, uh, just literally tens of thousands of missionaries, just a light uh, to the world. But now to, to see this country, uh, you know, getting to the place where, you know, evil uh, is abounding in so many quarters and, uh, and in so many ways some of the practices that you see here are so much worse than so many of the nations that we went out as missionaries to, to, to try to bring the light to. Uh, and so uh, that's what happened uh, in, in Israel. Now, moms, I hate to uh, continue going back to this theme, moms and future moms, but first one, remember, again, yet again, it says at the end of the verse, Manasseh's mother's name was Hevzibah. And as we have said before, uh, that in Jewish genealogies, you didn't put mom's name. You only put dad's name. And the reason that mom's name is given 
when there's a good king and a bad king, it's the Holy Spirit saying loud, loud and clear, the reason for this righteous king is this woman. The reason for this wicked king is this woman. <laughs> and so what a holy calling you have, moms, and future moms, uh, because uh, on the one hand, uh, you can have... Uh, you can give birth to just a, a Hezekiah who's, uh, you know, uh, who's, it says in chapter 18 his, his mother's name was Abai or Abi, uh, and just a wonderful example of faithfulness and reform and going out and just uh, being a leader uh, in the face of enormous adversity. And when he came into power, you know, the, the country was, was wicked, but he, he turned them back to the Lord. But you can also raise a Manasseh. Now, of course, kids always have the opportunity to choose the free will to choose. They have that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, y- y- you have an enormous opportunity, moms, and, of course, fathers, to be just building righteousness uh, into your child's uh, life. So uh, what, a, um, what, a, what a tragedy this is. It says in verse 10 of chapter 21, And the Lord spoke by a servant, the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So no lack of sort of poetic imagery to what was going to happen to, uh, to, to, to Jerusalem. Verse 14, So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because, of all, because uh, they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Now, remember in the book of Hebrews in the, North, uh, uh, in the New Testament, it speaks of people living by faith, you know, the hall of faith in and, and Hebrews, and it speaks of people sawn in half uh, for the Lord. And uh, it is believed that Manasseh sawed Isaiah in half. And that Isaiah was one of the ones uh, referred to, or if not, that was the reason for that verse uh, in the book of Hebrews. That's what tradition, a Jewish tradition says, that Isaiah was sawn in half by this man, uh, Manasseh. And so, verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned uh, two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulameth the daughter of Harris of Jophah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. And so, uh, like his father before him. And so, you know, Manasseh reigned 55 years. His son reigned uh, for two years. So you put 55 and two years together, and that is a 
long, long time when there's a wicked person in power. An enormous amount of time. I mean, when you think of what one bad president could, does in just four years, uh, a, a president that has, has his heart set on evil, can you imagine what someone can do in 54 years? Actually, Manasseh was uh, in power 50 Actually, no, take that back. Manasseh was in power 55 years alone, so it's 57 in, in total. And so uh, you can only imagine uh, you know, that, uh, what the, the consequences that, that Israel reaped. But to me, again, the reason I love, 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 love going through the Old Testament is because one of the principles that you find out, and I hope this gets just ingrained and branded in every one of your souls that are going through the study with us, is that with God, for anyone or any nation that's willing to repent and turn to him, he will, not he might, he will. It is always in his character to extend the hand of mercy. So in spite of this 57 reign of terror because of the repentance of one man, Josiah, chapter 22, uh, everything gets turned around. And all of a sudden you see uh, the hand of God's mercy. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, verse 1. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You know, one of my prayers for every single one of you is that you will become a man or a woman who in your life you just don't turn to the left and you don't turn to the right. And I, I really ask that you would just pray the same thing for me. That I become a man who just doesn't turn to the right and doesn't turn to the left. So much compromise in the body of Christ today. And I just love this example of uh, this uh, man, uh, Josiah, again, says his mother's name, verse 1. So just as you can raise a, uh, a Manasseh, you can just plant evil in, in, his, uh, in his or her heart. You can raise a Josiah. His mother's name was Jedediah. And not going to the right or the left. Now, I'm told that one of the secrets of Whitewater rafting is that uh, so any, anybody ever been whitewater rafting number four a four now is that the, is there a five after that has anyone been in a five? Oh wow okay is there a six okay so two people have been in a five so I, I don't know I have been told uh, that in whitewater rafting uh, you do need to go right down the center because there's I guess the tongue of the river or something like that that it's called because on the right and the left, oftentimes, uh, there's like these weird currents that can cause you to flip. So you're constantly looking for the tongue, which, go, you know, it sort of centers around the center. And uh, in Christianity, and your life with Christ, 
there's going to be the temptation, you know, to go to the right or the left. You know, sometimes there's many kinds of rights and there's many kinds of lefts. You know, one of the kinds of rights, and uh, you, you take a right into the sort of a life of legalism. You know, and, and, and boy, did I take a pretty sharp right when I was first saved. I was so zealous for the Lord, but I just thought it was all about the law, you know, because I had just lived such a, I just lived such an ugly life. I was, you know, for a number of years when I got saved that, you know, to me it was all about just absolute holiness. And, and, and you know, that is just, all you wind up doing is turning people away and, it all dries up after a while, your relationship, because that's not where the Lord wants you. He wants you in a rich relationship based on grace with Him. But then, you know, the problem is, uh, you go to the right, there's, there's legalism. You go to the left and you're just, and this is, it, it, there's just sort of a life of compromise, you know, morality. You just, you're, you're taking advantage of the grace of God. Rather than being strengthened in the grace of God, you're taking advantage of it. So, and, and, you know, there's just a willingness to compromise and sin in your life. Uh, and so there's many kinds of rights and lefts that we can take. And I just love that. And this is a good one to type up or write out and put over uh, your doorpost. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So lots of people naming their kids uh, Josiah these days. It's a good, good, uh, good person to be named after. Uh, and so uh, it says there, in verse 3, now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord. Well, by the way, I should also mention, you know, he was, he was eight years old uh, when he was, uh, became king. So what, and, and then it mentions the, the, the name of his mother. So what's going on here is that the, the nation was being ruled until he was probably 16 to eight years, 18 years old by some very godly men and this, and this very godly woman. Uh, the nation was being ruled, and uh, so that obviously an eight-year-old doesn't get on the throne and start uh, ordering people off to war and things like that. So uh, verse 4, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest that he may count uh, the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the uh, hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages uh, of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and to hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need not be an accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So there was, there's, you know, you know, if you're interested in revival, uh, the life of Josiah is a good uh, life to uh, to study of what happens in a time of revival. Well, one of the first things that happens in a time of revival, there's always prayer. Uh, whenever there's revival, there's always uh, repentance, and, and we'll see that. But also, there's just a restoration of the body of Christ and the house of the Lord. Now, Manasseh had put all kinds of bizarre um, altars uh, inside, pagan altars, right inside God's temple. And so, uh, here, it, it, and the rest of the house is sort of in disrepair, and so, uh, the you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also... Uh, 
Josiah's treasure was with the Lord, and so he starts pouring uh, the money uh, into the house of the Lord uh, there. And, and then there's this uh, verse in verse 7, which really indicates there was a tremendous love uh, and camaraderie and cooperation and brotherly love amongst the people uh, as they're dealing faithfully and they're working and they're just getting together and there's cooperation and uh, people aren't bickering over doctrine. People aren't bickering over, you know, uh, do you do, you know, this minor difference or that minor difference. There's, there's just a unity here and, and, and the temple of God uh, is being built up. And so that's a, 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 a wonderful example and, and something that uh, we need to be, pray for, that the, the churches actually in the city of Boston would be built back up uh, because uh, so many of them are in disrepair. And uh, it says there that... Um, real interesting uh, scripture here that in verse 9 it says, So Shaphan the, the scribe went to the king, uh, bringing the king a word saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who uh, do the work and who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, uh, saying, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkah the, the priest, Ahakam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and the Asiah the, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire the Lord for me, for the people and all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So uh, if this doesn't give you a picture of how wicked Manasseh was, I don't know what will. Manasseh had tried to wipe out the word of God completely. And it was believed that he, he basically you know, kind of like a Hitler fascist kind of uh, witch hunt type of deal, went and confiscated all the books of the law, all the scrolls, got rid of them. And by the time that Josiah was born, there wasn't any left. And, and so you can only imagine, given how the word of God is such a purifying element in our society, what had happened in Israel. The word of God literally... Had been, had been confiscated and destroyed, well, somewhere in a nook in, or a cranny of the, uh, of, of the temple, God had preserved. God had preserved the book of the law. And, and the Lord will always preserve his witness. He always preserves a witness. You know, you can look through church history, and it's a pretty depressing thing. Some of the things that happened in the Middle Ages, it's like, you know, what's all this about? Sometimes there's like three popes and... Uh, and and everyone, there's just really crazy things going on, uh, you know, in the church. But God always preserves a witness for Him, and you know, the devil's always trying to wipe out that witness. Herod trying to kill the the you know Jesus. He wipes out all the kids under two, and uh, to try to to wipe out, and that's what Satan is is always. Uh, trying to do, and, and you guys have uh, heard me talk about it many times before, but 
as many times that I say it, I, I don't get tired of it, Voltaire, who is the father of the modern secular humanist movement, lived in the late 1600s, said within, six, within 100 years, Christianity will be dead. Well, 100 years after he lived, the Geneva Bible Society was operating from inside of his house, you know. Uh, and and I, I don't know if any of you have, have any of you read Voltaire, Candide? Any of you have to read that book? Well, the, the greatest thing about that story is that, you know, he's also like the father of sarcasm. Uh, he was just one sarcastic dude. If you read that book, Candide, it's just all this extremely sarcastic uh, view of the world that everything is meaningless and anyone who tries to put meaning on, on anything is just foolish. And, and I don't know, it, it's amazing how the Lord has a sense of humor who winds up doing to Voltaire just what Voltaire did in all his books, you know, this incredible uh, irony. Uh, and so, but today there's organization, organizations, real powerful ones, extremely powerful ones, dedicated to the elimination of religion. You can just go out and and uh, go to websites, and they, they want it replaced completely by a benevolent secularism. And, uh, and, and, and they basically, by the way, a lot of them will say Voltaire is basically their father. He's the guy who started it all. And, and they're doing things to just try to, and they will try the most insidious type of things. Now, uh, one of the, uh, the movements now, in the, the atheistic movement, they want to borrow from uh, the homosexuals who they say had one of the most, uh, they say, no, it actually is true, one of the most m successful marketing coups in the history of the world. They changed their name from homosexual to gay to try to normalize it. You know, it's normal, gay, it's happy, you know, you're gay. You know, you're gay. And so uh, this, a... a Chipping away at the the consciousness of of of, of society with that with that um, word, and so atheists, and this is absolutely true, uh, they have come up with a word for themselves called brights. Anybody have any, anyone heard about this? So they want to start marketing themselves and and as brights, and you're a bright uh, if you are an atheist, and probably the most famous uh, atheist today, Richard Dawkins, the the scientist. Um, actually wrote an article in support of this whole movement. He says that Paul Geisert and Minja Futrell of Sacramento, California, have set out to coin a new word, a new gay, like gay. It should be a noun hijacked from an adjective. So even he says it's hijacked. It's all about marketing. <laughs> uh, hijacked from an adjective uh, with its original meaning changed, but not too much. Like gay, it should be catchy, a potentially prolific uh, meme, not even sure what that means. Like gay, it should be positive, warm, cheerful, bright. And as with gays, the more brights come out of the closet, uh, the easier it will be for other brights to do so. And people reluctant to use the word atheist might be happy to come out as a bright. And, and here's the, one of the, uh, you know, what the world calls one of the most intelligent guys in the, in the world uh, speaking here, Richard Dawkins. Uh, so, they will, you know, Satan will try the most subtle, insidious ways to eliminate uh, God's witness, as he did with Manasseh when he tried to completely wipe out the uh, the Word of God for 
all of history. Wow, what a field day he would have then. But he's never, ever successful. There will always be a witness. Gates of hell are never going to be a prevail against God and his people. Uh, and so what do they do with this word of God that they found? Do they put it in a, in a case uh, in a monastery somewhere and you pay 10 bucks and you go and look at it? You know, wow, this is like word of God. It was the, it's the only one left. No, what did they do? They read it. They read it. Verse 10. Hilkah, the priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And so, so important that we not only have a Bible, but we read it, and we mark it up, and we, uh, I don't know what you do, you know, you just go through them, uh, and you use them so much that you got to buy a new one. Uh, so verse 11, when it, happened, uh, uh, when, when it happened, when the king heard the words of the Lord, he tore his clothes. So the other thing with revival, real revival is going to be much more than just emotional excitement. You know, it, 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 <laughs> you, 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 from time to time, you will see sort of in the fringes of the charismatic movement, you know, a lot of excitement going on, and all of a sudden there's they themselves are proclaiming a revival when all it is is a lot of emotion, but there's no real repentance. Let me tell you, revival doesn't come without repentance. If there is revival, people are going to be changing their lives. They're going to be, men will be, go back to their wives. Uh, drunks will throw away their bottles. You know, uh, people who are married to their career will pare it down and start living uh, a life that's honoring to the Lord. Uh, people sexualized will get pure. And, and anything you call, I don't care how emotional get, how excited people get. Uh, you know, if they're walking out of the church service and everyone's hair is going like this, if they are not repenting, it's not revival. And, and so that is what, uh, uh, that's what happens here uh, with Josiah, this wonderful example of a man uh, he didn't turn to the left or the right. He, he just went forward and he is, uh, he's repenting here. So then real interesting, verse 13, Go inquire the Lord for me, for the people and, for, and all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the God that is aroused against us. You know, there's nothing as healthy as a healthy fear of God. You can have an unhealthy fear of God. Many of us grew up with an unhealthy fear of God. But then there's a healthy fear of God. Uh, just a, He's God and he deserves every molecule of our walk. Uh, and uh, he's a loving God. He's merciful. He's filled with grace. And he wants nothing more than to bless us. But he's God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's what you see here. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book uh, to do according to all that is written concerning us. And, and you know one of the things here that, that I find from time to time you know, with, a, with someone who is either a very weak believer or they're not a believer at all, they don't want to dishonor their fathers or their forefathers. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, my parents are Jewish or they're, my grandparents are Christian scientists or, uh, you know, whatever. They're proud atheists. 
And, and, and here, you know, Jesus says, if you don't, what did he say? If you don't hate your mother and father and brother and sister and wife and husband, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Now, obviously, the Bible tells us we're supposed to love all those people. But what he meant when he said that was that, that you don't put them as idols in your life. And when you say, well, I can't do this, even though the Word of God says I'm supposed to do it, because my father and mother didn't do it, that is idolatry. And Jesus is saying, you need to hate that. And, and I love the example here. He's saying, our forefathers, he's not giving them a lick of credit here. He's not trying to honor something that should not be honored. Let me tell you, we shouldn't be honoring the memory of a, of a relative who lived in wickedness. You know, and so just a wonderful example here. They've sinned and, and you know, we need... And so he says, go inquire the Lord for me. So real interesting, verse 14. So Hilkah the priest, Ahikam for Shaphan, and Esaiah went to Huldah the prophetess. Now, uh, Dulce, do you have a boy or a girl coming? Oh, I was going to say, if it was a girl, Huldah. Is a, just a great name, okay? Hulda. I want someone to name their daughter Hulda. Hulda the prophetess. Not Hilda. I don't know where they got Hilda. Broom Hilda, whatever. This is Hulda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. So all these men will go to this prophetess, and they say... Uh, you know, what's up here? Now, what's real interesting is none other than Jeremiah and Zephaniah were heavyweight prophets at this time. Uh, but they didn't go to them for whatever reason. And so here we do learn that uh, women, as we do right through the New Testament with Philip's daughters who were uh, prophetesses as well, uh, that uh, women have a prophetic uh, ministry, a prophetic gifts. Uh, that they can bless the body of Christ with. And here she says in verse 15 something that you wouldn't expect her uh, to say. It's a little surprising. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell uh, the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on all its inhabitants, all the words of the uh, book which uh, the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, and that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not quench. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when he heard what I spoke against this uh, place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought the word to the king. And so, you know, it's interesting here that um, Israel had been sowing for 57 years under Manasseh, you know, such wickedness that there was enough wickedness sort of left in the land that the repentance or the revival that was... Uh, in Israel was really a 
a partial revival. It was only with some, uh, uh, you know, of the nation. There was uh, many of them that there was a, a, a real, real repentance. Uh, but this was not uh, the type of repentance that you see uh, sometimes where there's just uh, sort of a widespread cutting of the heart throughout the whole country. You know, Jeremiah, who prophesied uh, during this time, said, you know, you Israelites, you cry out to the Lord, the temple, temple, the temple of the Lord, but in your heart you're evil. So what he was saying is that, oh, we go to the temple and we do just what the king does. See, a lot of people were just following the king. And, you know, you do see this, uh, you, you do, where there's freedom, such as in the United States, you, you, you know, you do see uh, three kinds of people. You see rowboats, you see sailboats, and you see steamboats. Rowboats are people, and I'm well familiar with them. Man, you have to push and push and push and pull and pull and pull to get them moving. Sailboats actually are much more common, though, and they change the course, their course of their lives just depending on which way the wind is blowing. You know, if the wind's blowing one way, ooh, wow, this is cool, being a Christian, wow. And uh, they sort of go along with it. It's a shallow kind of repentance. And then there's steamboats. And steamboats, man, they make up their mind what is right and what they need to do and what God wants for their life and they just stay the course no matter what. And I just was on the phone for an hour and a half, uh, about an hour and a half with a woman last night. and Just, just heartbreaking conversation. She's gotten to... Uh, herself into it's a lot of trouble and, and she was just admitted over and over for an hour and a half she was you know, talking to me about what she needed to do I told her what she needed to do it could not possibly be clear from the word of God what she needed to do but she said I can't do it the cost is too great you know I pray for every one of you in this room that you would be like just Josiah not willing to turn to the right or to the left, but willing to go down the center, no matter what the cost, no matter how, what the cost is. And, you know, like I said a few weeks ago, most, a lot of people are willing to die for Jesus. In other words, if someone put a gun to their head and said, either renounce your faith or I'll shoot you, they'll say, okay, shoot me. But how many of us are willing to live for Jesus, no matter what the cost? no matter what the cost. And that's what Josiah was. He was a steamboat, but he had a lot of sailboats, a lot of sailors, a lot of sailboats, you know, in, in, this, in this country. And God's not going to be mocked. <laughs> you know, Manasseh, 55 years, sacrificing children, filling up Jerusalem from one end to the other with blood, it says. He's not going to be mocked. And so there was a partial repentance, a partial re revival. And uh, he, um, and so the Lord always has that hand of mercy uh, whenever there's people reaching out to him with a heart of repentance. 
but it was not going to be sort of a permanent uh, type of thing. Now, we will see in chapter 23, which we will um, begin or take up uh, two weeks from tonight. And George Small will be here next week, Pastor George Small. But we'll see in chapter 23 that, you know, Josiah hears this prophecy. And again, what an incredible example this guy is. I just, just so appreciate this guy's example. He hears this prophecy of the judgment to come, but that does not stop him from this incredible, wide, uh, uh, comprehensive, wide, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, 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 a reform to implement it throughout the country. And so he does stuff, he just continues to uh, go throughout the countryside, continue the uh, repentance, the, the good works, building up the, um, uh, the house of God and, and, and really just extending uh, the, it, the, the, the word of the Lord and, and obeying the word of the Lord and wiping out everything that had been built up by uh, his uh, grandfather, Manasseh. And, you know, one of the things that it tells us is that, you know, not, you know, every once in a while, you, you hear Christians and they say, well, Jesus is coming and we know he's going to come soon and so just sort of let the world go to hell, you know, or let the environment uh, go to hell because we know that it's not, we're not going to be around for uh, any much longer. I mean, that's such a knuckle-headed approach uh, to the Word of God. I mean, we're stewards of not only uh, of our, our bodies and our lives and our families, but of the world. And we need to just continue, again, just like Francis and, and, the, and the weeds. We need to continue doing what the, uh, the Lord wants us to do until we get taken away. And, and if he's called us to be missionaries or called us to be uh, just men and women of God in the, in, the, in the marketplace or whatever he's called you to do, you need to set at it with all your heart. Of course, never for one second stopping, you know, longing for his coming, longing for the return of, uh, of Jesus. And so that's what um, we'll see from, from the, the life of Josiah. We're supposed to be going out there, doing our mission trips, getting into Mission Maine, going to the uh, Boston Rescue Mission. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to get down to Haiti uh, in this, with this winter to, to check that place out. Uh, Pastor Serge has just opened the Calvary there. And we're supposed to be full on until the Lord comes back. And what a great example uh, Josiah is of that. But we will uh, pick up there uh, next week. Okay. Now, what did I do with my prayer requests? Oh, boy, did I lose them? Oh, in my back pocket. Ah. Let's see. Okay. And who are we praying for tonight but Sage Puto? Calvary Chapel, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So we'll um, be praying in 15 minutes. Please join us if you can. If you can't, you're, of course, free to go home. I know many of you have 
to get your beauty sleep, waking up real early in the morning. But if, if you can stick around, please do. We're going to be praying for Serge tonight, and he is uh, the praises. He's teaching the book of Matthew to street kids just right there out on the street in Port-au-Prince. Uh, and there's about 20 kids. These are all homeless kids. And praise the Lord for that. Wow. It's wonderful. And they have just started, in addition to a Sunday service, they've just started a Wednesday service. They're going through the book of Genesis. Oh, man, I remember that. That was a long time ago when we started Genesis. But that's great, though. Isn't that wonderful? He's, he's starting the book of Genesis, brand new church, and he's going to be teaching through the Old Testament. And then in October, they're going to have their second baptism. There's a the last one, they had 12 baptized. And so their requests are uh, Noel, the Hurricane Noel, uh, hit Port-au-Prince, and I guess many people died, and there was property damage. And so just pray for the relief efforts there, and that, that would wake people up uh, to the Lord there. And then just also wisdom in directing and organizing various ministries. You know, I can really relate to that. It's, it's, it's very difficult once... You know, a church starts growing and you have many different kinds of ministries and you want to do all of them excellent. And just pray for a surge that just for the administrative gifts there at the church and wisdom. Uh, he has a, he's teaching. One of the things that he does, Serge, he is, uh, and his, his, I hope all, all you meet Dina. She, his daughter comes to our morning service. She's very quiet, uh, but she's, uh, she's a sweetheart. She goes to MIT. Um, but they, they, uh, they open up uh, classes to the public to teach them computers. And so he's just doing that as a ministry, teaching them a skill which they need so bad down there. Uh, and I think eventually he has these ideas of maybe open up a call center down there. That would be great. But, of course, he's, there's, there's ministry involved and, uh, as well with that. And then he has this ministry to abandon children uh, at the local hospital. And he visits... They visit uh, to a handicapped, uh, there's, a, there's a, ha- a house for handicapped uh, women that they go visit, and they also have a Bible study at the medical school there. So I love this. I mean, he's, he's, he's like Jesus ministered to very wealthy people. He also ministered to the lowest of the low, and that's what's going on now in Haiti. So we'll bring this to the, the prayer as well uh, for tonight. But why don't we close in prayer? Close out the service. Father, I just thank you, Lord, in uh, in the name of Jesus for uh, the example of Josiah, also of Hezekiah, Lord, and Lord, how we want to be men and women who do not go to the right or to the left, that we go right down there uh, in the center of the the raging river, Lord, uh, where you are, where you're guiding us where you're always faithful to to bring us forward, Lord, and get us to the end. Uh, And, Lord, we know you're only going to pull us off at that precise moment that you want us to. Lord, we don't want to be like Hezekiah, uh, panicking in our hour of death. We want to be just really faithful and at peace, Lord, uh, you know, at that time. And, Father, I just pray for everyone in here, Lord, that... um, including myself, Lord, that uh, we just honor you uh, with our lives, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm sorry, postscript.